Chapter thirty nine of Tell It All by Fanny Stenhouse. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Some Curious Courtships Brigham Ruins Our Fortunes Belinda Divorces Our Husband. The reader will see that, setting aside the fact that my husband was already married, there was nothing in his courtships to distinguish them from those of lovers among the Gentiles. But all courtships in Utah are not carried on in this fashion. Some of the brethren entirely omit the love-making part, and with them to take a new wife is simply to make a bargain. The better the saint, the less, as a rule, does he seem to care about the feelings of the woman whom he makes his wife. My husband, however, was still leavened with the fashions of the old world and the days of his youth, and like some of the other brethren of good standing in Salt Lake City, he fell into Gentile ways, instead of keeping to the true style of Mormon courtship. I heard of one American elder who went to the young lady upon whom he had fixed his choice, and without a word of preliminary discourse of an affectionate nature, said, I've twenty head of stock, fifty acres of good land, got a good log house, and the nicest old woman in the country. Now, sis, will you have me? Whether the fair damsel was dazzled by this alluring picture or not, I am not quite certain, but no one would suppose that she ought to have been. Now, to balance the Yankee, it is only fair that I should tell you of a certain Englishman who lived in Cache Valley, about a hundred miles from Salt Lake, and who was very anxious to find a second wife. He could not get one in the place where he lived, as the girls were all either married or, as the Mormons say, bespoke. So he came to Salt Lake City as a last desperate resort. To the first unmarried girl to whom he was introduced, without a moment's hesitation, he proposed in the following abrupt fashion. Say, sis, my bishop told me to take a week's holiday and come down here and get a wife. Now, if you don't mind going back with me, I shall start tomorrow morning. The next morning at seven o'clock the young lady was to be seen standing by the Englishman's wagon with a sunbonnet on her head and a bundle under her arm. They went to the endowment house, got sealed for all eternity, and started for home. Hundreds of girls in Utah have been won, for all eternity, with just as little trouble. They must have been girls of rather more than average mortal intelligence, if, in time taken to form their decision, they could tell from the little they know of the men who had proposed to them that they would be willing to live with them for time, but to make a bargain for eternity with so little ground to rest upon, certainly does seem a little rash. The Mormons of all people, with their peculiar notions respecting the eternity of the marriage contract, should be careful whom they marry, but, to tell the truth, they are the most careless. There is living in Utah today a woman whom I know who has been sealed for all eternity to no less than nine husbands, and if the divorces which she has obtained are, as Brother Brigham says, not worth the paper upon which they are written, she will be likely to have some trouble when she meets them all in another world. 
I know of several others who have been sealed to four, five, or six husbands. One of Brigham's own sisters was the wife of several husbands after this fashion. How all these matters can be set right it is difficult to determine, but somebody will have work to do. Mormonism had been to my husband everything. It had for years grown with his growth until it had become a part of himself. Doubts had occasionally crept into his mind, it is true, but it required time to effect a change. The measures adopted by Brigham Young in the spring of 1869 for the purpose of controlling the commerce of Utah, as well as the property and faith of the people, caused great discontent. The teachings of the tabernacle were wild and arrogant, and Brigham assumed that it was his right to dictate in everything, even, he said, to the setting up of a stocking or the ribbons which a woman should wear. Many of the people, when they heard these words and witnessed the fanaticism created thereby, were aroused to opposition, but Brigham only became more fierce in his denunciations and more harsh in his measures. I could plainly see that all this had the, to me, much desired effect of alienating my husband from Mormonism, and I never allowed an opportunity of strengthening the impression thus produced to pass unimproved. The articles in his paper showed the condition of his mind, and brought down upon him the wrath of Brigham. At this also I rejoiced, and did not fail to make him feel that he ought to resent the prophet's interference. Brigham felt too certain of the submission of his slave, and accused Mr. Stenhouse of having published favorable notices of Gentile stores, also of having their advertisements in his paper, and otherwise aiding and abetting the wicked Gentiles, all which accusations my husband began to feel was an infringement upon his own private, personal rights as a citizen and a man. One circumstance followed another, and I could plainly see that his confidence in Brigham's inspiration was slowly but surely dwindling away, and that the day which I had so long anxiously watched for was breaking at last. Notwithstanding this, however, there was one bond which still united him by no weak tie to the church. He was a polygamist. The contemplated marriage between him and Brigham's daughter could, I believed, never now take place, but even allowing that he still had another wife, and now that I had entirely lost faith in Mormonism generally, and the celestial order of marriage in particular, I resolved that I would no longer have a partner in my husband's affections, as if he were a joint stock concern. I would have the whole of a husband or none. I had not yet, however, sufficient courage to speak to him of my feelings. I can imagine I see some strong-minded woman smile at the idea of a wife wanting courage to speak to her husband. But such women never knew what Mormonism is. Had they been born Gentiles, they would probably never have entered the Mormon church. Had they been born in the church, they would have been what John Stuart Mill calls subjugated. 
John Stuart Mill considered the subjugation of women among the Gentiles a hard thing, and he wrote a pamphlet and expressed his mind about it. But I fancy if he could have known the iron cruelty of Mormon polygamy, if he could have seen how the hearts of women are crushed and ground down by the celestial order among the saints, until not a spark of womanhood remains in them, if he could have seen the subjugation of women in Utah, he would have considered their case a thousand times harder than that of their Gentile sisters, and would never have ceased writing pamphlets or expressing his mind. One Sunday evening Mr. Stenhouse, when he came home, said to me, Brother Brigham has given me a mission. He wishes me to go to Ogden and publish my paper there. This was very unexpected news, but with the vividness of lightning, a glimpse of what the prophet intended by such a strange proposition flashed across my mind. He wishes to ruin us, I exclaimed. You surely will not go. Now Brigham, of course, knew that my husband's paper had a large circulation in Utah Territory, as well as in Salt Lake City, and that his business was in a most prosperous condition. He knew also that to do aught that might impair or destroy that business would be to bring misery and disaster upon all who were dependent upon it for their daily bread. And yet for all that, he told my husband to break up his establishment, or in his own words, to pull up root and branch, and go to a place where the people were so miserably poor that it was impossible to make a newspaper successful among them. In all this the crafty prophet no doubt acted wisely. The Daily Telegraph would in all probability become a power in the territory, and he feared that in a short time it would emancipate itself from his control. Brother Brigham has none of the far-seeing perception of the eagle, that perception which has enabled great men to forecast coming events, and thus, to a great extent, mold them when they came. He is more the cunning, crafty eye peculiar to cats, which are blinded when the pure light from heaven falls upon them, but are very quick indeed to perceive the very smallest thing which transpires in holes and dark places within their own contracted little circle of vision. No man can be sharper or more quick-sighted than Brigham in his own circle, and within range of his own mental powers, but his circle is limited and beyond it his mental powers never soared. I do not doubt that long before this time he had noted that my husband was weakening in the faith, but he had waited for his opportunity, and now he considered that it had come. We knew very well that this was the way in which he had always acted towards those whom he feared or doubted. When he saw them growing weak in the faith, he ruined them, or did the best he could to that effect, before they finally left the church. I urged my husband to resist this arbitrary decree on the part of the prophet, and represented strongly the misery which would result from his failure, and the utter impossibility of success. But I soon found that although he doubted Brigham, his faith in Mormonism was by no means all gone. He, like many another, feared that in disobeying Brigham, perhaps after all, 
he might be resisting God. He could see the wrongdoing of the prophet, and felt that his conduct was unworthy of one who pretended to such great things. But he regarded this as the weakness of the prophet's humanity, at the same time believing that in the matters of religion he might be divinely inspired. He was still under the influence of the past. He could not yet break asunder the yoke and bid defiance to Brigham and the priesthood. He told me that now was the time for him to prove his obedience, cost what it might, and all the brethren urged him to submit, saying that the Lord would overrule everything for his good. Believing this, he broke up his establishment at Salt Lake City and went, as counseled, to Ogden. There he remained for several months, during which time he was losing money every day. Finding at last that he could stand it no longer, he asked Brigham Young's permission to return and recommence his paper in Salt Lake City, for no one then dared stir a foot without permission. This was granted, for Brigham had now accomplished his purpose. But some of our friends told me that the teachers, when making their weekly visits, were telling the people not to take in Brother Stenhouse's paper again if he came back to Salt Lake City, for he was apostatizing, and they must not sustain an apostate. Now, I thought, my husband will believe that I was right in my judgment of Brigham's motives. My own family, and that of the second wife, did not accompany my husband to Ogden. He was therefore quite at home when he returned. But the expense of transferring his business from one place to another was perfectly ruinous. He had not only purchased valuable property, as I before mentioned, in the city, but he had also realized quite a comfortable little fortune by the success of his paper. But now the property had to be mortgaged, and his fortune was, of course, utterly insufficient for these heavy daily losses. Just then the severe illness of my eldest son in San Francisco made it necessary that we should leave immediately to attend him, for we had received intelligence that he was not at all likely to recover. As it was my own son who was sick, my husband had very naturally determined that I should accompany him, but this brought on such a severe fit of jealousy on the part of his young wife, who already was by no means too happy, that when we returned after my son's recovery, she threatened to obtain a divorce. My husband told me of this, but I had so frequently heard of such threats from wives who were unhappy or neglected, that I thought little about it. One day, not long after our return, I was quite surprised to see Mr. Stenhouse and Joseph A. Young drive up to the door, looking as if something of great importance had just transpired. Mr. Stenhouse jumped out of his buggy and hurriedly gave me a letter, as I thought, at the same time saying, Take great care of this, for it makes me a free man again. Saying this, he left the house, jumped into the buggy again, and was gone, while I stood holding the paper, wondering what it all could mean. My husband had told me to take care of the paper. 
He neither said read it or don't read it, and of course I was not in the least curious. The envelope was not sealed, so I made up my mind that, though he had not said so, he must have wished me to read what was inside, and at any rate I resolved to risk doing so. To my astonishment I found that the document which he said set him free was nothing else than a bill of divorce between him and his young wife. It appeared afterwards that she had been to Brother Brigham, had told him of her grievances, and had asked for a divorce. Now when the wife of any man who is of good standing in the church, and whom Brigham wishes to honor, comes to him for a divorce, he generally sends for the husband first, tells him about it, and they talk it over together. The husband is counseled to make the matter up, and a compromise is effected. In the case of my husband, Brigham acted otherwise. The clerk had been directed to make out the papers, which the second wife signed, and as far as she was concerned, her marriage was dissolved. My husband was then notified that he was wanted at the prophet's office, and he had a very shrewd guess as to what the nature of the business was for which his presence was desired. He waited till the afternoon, when he knew that Brigham would be absent, and then, as he was driving out with Joseph A., the prophet's son, he drew up before the office and asked Joseph to accompany him inside in order to witness a little business which he had to transact. Joseph agreed, but when he found what the business really was, he strongly urged my husband not to sign the papers, or at least to take time and consult with President Young first. Mr. Stenhouse, however, never for a moment doubted that Brigham had expected by this hasty move to bring him to his feet, and he would not therefore yield. So asking the clerk for the papers, he signed them, and Joseph also signed them as a witness. The other witness was David Mackenzie, Brigham's clerk. Belinda had already affixed her name. Ten dollars were then handed over as the usual fee. My husband took one copy of the bill of divorce, the wife had a right to the second copy, and the third was deposited in the archives of Zion. My husband had then, as we have seen, hastened home to tell me that he was a free man, and yet these two had been sealed to each other at the altar in the endowment house for all eternity. This is the way that divorces are granted in Utah. There is not the slightest difficulty about them, if only Brother Brigham is willing. The reader would perhaps be interested in seeing one of these terrible documents. I therefore append a true, perfect, and exact copy of my husband's own bill of divorce. It is a facsimile, type, signatures, and all. This is a specimen of an orthodox divorce among the Bon Ton in Salt Lake City. Out in the settlements they do things in a much more primitive style, and some of their documents are rather amusing. The following is a correct copy of a Mormon divorce bill taken from the records of Beaver City. March 8, 1871 To whom it may concern. This is to certify 
that in the beginning of 1869, when I gave a bill of divorce to Sarah Ann Lowry, I gave to her for the good of her four children the following property. A parcel of land of about nine acres enclosed all round, with a house of two rooms and one cow and heifer. William C. Ritter I could, if space permitted, give many others equally interesting. I cannot say that I was much grieved at the sight of my husband's divorce. At the same time, long training in the school of trouble had hardened my heart and rendered me almost indifferent, and I cannot say that I was very greatly rejoiced. Nature adapts us morally, as well as physically, to the positions which we have to occupy in life. The hand of him who labors much becomes hard, and the unshodden foot grows horny, and the heart at which first is tender, and, like the aeolian harp, ready to answer to the slightest passing breath, by and by, beneath the rough hand of trial, and the world, becomes callous and stony, and the roughest storms, and the sweetest pleasures alike, seem to make little impression upon it. Thus it was with me when I received that paper. A few years before, a reliable assurance that my husband would never enter into polygamy would have been to me the realization of my best earthly wishes. But now my heart was almost dead, and I felt as if I hardly cared one way or the other. If I felt thus, who had still all my darling children around me, who had never missed one dear little face from the fireside or from the table, what must have been endured by those mothers who not only gave away their husbands to other wives, but who lost child after child, until bereft of all they loved on earth, they could but, like Rachel, sit down in ashes and mourn for the dead. But the more I thought over what had happened, the more doubtful I felt as to what the result would be. That there would be some great change in our life I felt assured, but to me the change was coming almost too late. Then, too, the young wife who in her hasty anger had obtained the divorce, I felt that her happiness must surely be gone, and I could not bear the thought that my peace should be purchased with the sorrows of another. Brother Brigham's part in the matter was also ever-present in my mind. That he had resolved to bring ruin upon my husband, I did not now for a moment doubt. But if a weak woman's efforts could in any way assist in thwarting his designs, I fully resolved that he should never have the satisfaction of seeing those designs successful. I would stand by my husband, I would work for him and assist him, and would give not even a passing thought to what I might have suffered, or remember that he had ever loved others better than myself. I would be to him now the true wife that before God I had vowed to be, for worse as well as for better. And however I myself might have been wronged, I would for my part endeavor faithfully to perform my whole duty to my husband and to God. After I had formed this mental resolution, and had begun to realize our new position, I felt as if awakening from a long dream of many years. 
I was released from the clutches of that frightful nightmare, polygamy, and I could once more take my place beside my husband as his wife. I knew that he would have much to contend against, and would need all the moral support that I could accord to him. Brigham's efforts in respect to my husband's paper had been far too successful, and although it was still carried on, fresh difficulties sprang up every day. My husband had been deceived by Brigham's oily manner and plausible way, but to others his intention in sending him away was no secret. A man named Bull, who is now and was also at that time employed in the Deseret News office, said that no one but Mr. Stenhouse had ever been deceived by what the prophet had done. It was commonly reported that Brigham intended to ruin my husband, and that when he prophesied that the paper in Ogden should be a great success, he was himself perfectly aware that it was utterly impossible that such should be the case. Whether Brigham was the deceiver or the deceived, I do not wish to say. Men who consider themselves inspired, and go on day by day uttering all sorts of nonsense and blasphemy, and giving impertinent and mischievous advice in the name of the Lord, at last become thoroughly impervious to reason, and daily and hourly deceive themselves. I hope for his own sake it was so with Brigham, for I would rather believe him a self-made fool than a downright knave, and in many of his transactions, perhaps I ought to almost say all, it is clear to every one that he is either one or the other. Of one thing I am certain, I was fully contented that we should lose all, if only my husband were taken, once and forever, clean out of the meshes of Mormonism. We might have to make a terrible sacrifice, but to me it was a sacrifice well worth the making. End of chapter 39